0: Good morning and a warm welcome to the service today. Uh, It's good to see some who are visiting with us from different areas and uh, you're especially welcome. Let's uh, unite our hearts in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your day, and we thank you for uh, the gospel message that we've been singing. We thank you that you are uh, the God who has not left us in the dark, uh, but you are the God who has revealed yourself to us and called us to come to you. And we thank you that as we uh, look around us today in the world we see uh, such beauty. Uh, We see the wonder Lord of your creation. We feel the warmth of the sunshine and our hearts are are stirred uh, with that sense of awe and thankfulness when we experience that. And we thank you that you have directed us so that we will know where to speak when we are thankful. And we thank you that we We are looking to you our creator God the one who made all things with a word from nothing the God who holds all things together by the power of your word and every breath we are given we are thankful Lord that uh, this is a gift that you have given us the gift of life we thank you that you have given us not only the gift of uh, life for the the few years that we have in this world but we thank you for the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ your son our saviour. We know that this world is broken. As much as we see the beauty uh, of God in this world, we see uh, that it is marred by the the scar of sin. And, Lord, we confess that as we look into our own hearts, although we realize that we are made in the image of God, we we know that we have drifted from you, that we are by nature of uh, the sin within us in enmity against you. But we thank you that you have not left us in that state, we thank you that you have in love told us about sin in order that we will look to Jesus as our Saviour. So we praise you on this day, the Lord's day, for the death of Jesus, which we remembered last weekend. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And we praise you for the resurrection of Jesus. That on the first day, on the Lord's day, he rose from the dead and promised resurrection life, eternal life to all who believe. So give us faith, we pray, that we would be believing in Jesus. Give each of us faith, we pray, so that we would taste of the eternal life which begins here in this world and goes on eternally in the hereafter. Give us faith that we would not only hear the word of God, that we would believe and take hold of the promises that are offered to us in, in Scripture. Give us faith that we would not only hear the call of Jesus saying come to me but we pray that each of us would come and that we would know uh, the salvation that is promised in Jesus and enable us we pray as we have sang that hymn to be ready for the day when Christ shall come we know not the day we know not the hour where we will stand before you so make us ready Lord we pray may we be those who are washed in the blood of the lamb may we be those uh, who are saved through the finished work of Christ and who are day by day serving the Lord Jesus uh, joyfully in this world that you have put us in. We pray, Lord, for those who are struggling today. Uh, We think of those who are absent from this place who would normally be with us, uh, some who have COVID and others who have different struggles. And we pray for each one as they come into our mind's eye. And we ask, Lord, that you would lay hands of healing upon those who are sick. We pray that you would uh, give peace to those who are troubled that you would grant comfort to those who are grieving. And we pray, Lord, for uh, our nation uh, who have gone far from you. And we ask, Lord, that you would draw us back, that you would uh, enable those that you have allowed to be in authority over us to, to look to and to trust in and to call us to return to the Lord who says, return to me and I will return to you. And as we look around in the world, as we see our TV screens and we see wars and hear rumours of wars and as we can feel the anxiety of that, we pray uh, that you would be at work, Lord, in these places that may be far from us, that we feel helpless to, to have any influence uh, towards. And yet, uh, as we pray, the hand of God moves. And we ask, Lord, that you would be bringing peace where there is war. And that you would be working in the midst of war, in darkness, that the light of Christ would be seen. So hear our prayers. Take away our sin. And go before us in the rest of this day. Uh, enable us to be in worship. As we gather together. And we ask all this in Jesus name. Amen. So let's pray. Lord we thank you for this day. And we thank you for that true story. Uh, about Brendan. We thank you on that day that you. You uh, helped him to know what to do. That he could remember what he was told. By Cami in that class. And that you gave him the courage to go out. And, and do what he did. And we thank you Lord That. Uh, Jesus came into this world to to seek and to save sinners. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you uh, say to us, come to me, uh, look to me, and be saved. So help us, Lord, we pray, if there's anyone here today who's, who's never yet taken the hand of Jesus and, and been pulled uh, out of the, the danger and pulled into safety, we pray that even today they would do that. And help us, Lord, if we're Christians from school or at home or wherever it is, to be telling other people uh, that there is a saviour, there is one who can save us, there is one who can make us safe forever, and his name is Jesus. And he lived for us and he died for us and he rose from the dead so that we can be saved. So help us to take that message out, not just to hear your voice, not just to hear the message, but to act on it and to share it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we can turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 19, please. We'll read from the beginning. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, "'Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today.' So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, "'He has gone to be the guest of a sinner.' But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, "'Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, "'and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, "'I will pay back four times the amount.' Jesus said to him, "'Today salvation has come to this house "'because this man too is a son of Abraham.' For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained from it. The first one came and said, sir, your minor has earned 10 more. Well done, my good uh, servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, Sir, your minor has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your minor. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man? taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his minor away from him and give it to the one who has ten minus." Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies are mine." They did not want me to be a king over them. Bring them here and kill them in front of me. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word to us. Well, let's uh, pray as we go back to the passage that we read. Lord God, we are conscious that uh, we are not able to see and hear and understand without the work of the Holy Spirit. So we pray, Father, that you would send the Holy Spirit, uh, that he would be active in us and in this place, uh, speaking to us, opening our eyes that we may see. Jesus that we may see our need of Jesus that we may see uh, this world as well uh, that we are part of and uh, the reality of our state outside of Christ we pray for the children in the Sunday school uh, those who are here and those uh, who will be at home as well and we ask Lord that uh, you would enable them in their early years to remember you, to trust you uh, we pray for the little ones in the crash. Uh, And those who haven't yet uh, reached the creche, uh, even the young ones that you know within the womb, uh, not yet born, uh, we pray for them, Lord. We thank you that you're the God who knows us uh, from conception. And we ask, Lord, uh, that you would be working in the lives of these young ones, that they would grow up to know you and to trust you, uh, to walk with you. As we remember uh, the young, we pray for those who are elderly, uh, those who are feeling the weight of the years, those who would uh, desire to be with us in this place, but uh, who who don't have the strength to be able to to come. Uh, we ask that you would be near to them that on this day, that you would minister to them. Those who are watching and, and others that may not be watching, those who may feel the confusion of the years, uh, we thank you that when we are struggling to reach people, uh, you, in the power of the Holy Spirit, are able still to minister uh, to those who... Who may be struggling in their minds, even. And we pray for them, Lord, as we think of them. We pray for the churches around us as well, all denominations where uh, Jesus is preached, uh, where the cross and the resurrection are preached. We ask, Lord, that you would be at work uh, for your glory and for the salvation of souls. So hear our prayers and help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 19, and uh, we're focusing today uh, on uh, verses. Eleven, uh, and following the parable of the 10 minus or the 10 pounds, as it might be in some of the, the, the versions that you have. And as I was studying it and thinking about it uh, uh, this week, my mind went back uh, to uh, a conversation that I, I listened into, uh, it seems like yesterday, but it was actually in 2018. It was uh, the World Cup, uh, towards the end of the World Cup, it was the semi-finals of the World Cup and uh, England had just crashed out of the World Cup apologies to any England fans here they just crashed out of the World Cup to Croatia Uh, and after that game uh, two of the pundits uh, were talking about it and they were locking horns Ian Wright, uh, a very vocal character uh, and Roy Keane, who's an Irishman and very straight talking uh, they were battling uh, in the aftermath of the game Wright was distraught because England had crashed out and he thought they were going all the way. Uh, And Roy Keane, the Irishman, was showing uh, very little in the way of sympathy. And uh, Roy Keane pointed out repeatedly that England's problem, the problem that had caused them to go out of the World Cup, was that they got overexcited. They weren't focused on the semi-final. They weren't focused on beating Croatia. Croatia were, were, were hardly in their vision at all. They thought they could just sweep them aside without any effort. All they could think about was the final, the final, the final. And uh, that was their downfall, according to Roy Keane. And we tend to get like that. Uh, we get very excited very quickly. We can, uh, as people, become uh, overexcited very uh, quickly. We get carried away and it can cause us to, uh, to be foolish. And so from time to time, we, we, need, a, we need a blast of realism. And uh, that's what the disciples of Jesus got when he told them uh, this parable. Uh, he speaks with realism into their lives and their experience. So the first thing I want to look at uh, today is the, the purpose of the parable. Jesus, uh, he tells the disciples, the, the purpose, the, the meaning of this parable before he actually tells them the story. And um, we're told that in verse 11. Uh, while they were listening to this, the disciples, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, just where he was going to the cross. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So the disciples, they, they have this idea in their minds that the kingdom of God... And all the drama of that was just, was just about to appear any minute. And there was this huge excitement because of that. Now, when we ask the question, why were the disciples so excited? Uh, it's easy to see how they could become so excited. Because if we glance back over the previous few chapters, as Jesus journeys in the direction of Jerusalem, amazing things were happening. Uh, blind people were being given their sight with no medical intervention. Uh, lame people, those who had been able, unable to walk for, for, for decades, uh, were, were being given their mobility. Uh, sick people, uh, those who had leprosy and who were outcasts, were being touched by Jesus and they were being healed. Uh, even the dead uh, were being raised by Jesus. And so there was huge excitement around Jesus. Uh, and there was a great buzz around Jesus. Uh, that the crowds uh, were gathered around him and the crowds were getting bigger day by day. And people were being saved. You know, even people like Zacchaeus, who was the most unpopular man in the, in the, in the, the town that he, he lived in. This, this unscrupulous tax collector, this, this uh, posh gangster. You know, he was saved. He was sought out and he was saved by, by Jesus. And so it's no wonder that the disciples, as they walked along with Jesus and observed all this, it's no much wonder that they were getting excited Because they knew their Old Testaments. They they knew passages like um, uh, Isaiah 35. And Isaiah, uh, we haven't got time to go there today, but Isaiah 35, uh, it it gives signs by which the Messiah could be recognized. It gave uh, an indication of the things one could expect that would show that the Messiah had come. And all the things that Jesus was doing, they were exhibits. Uh, They were pieces of evidence that showed that he was the king, that he was the Messiah, that he had come. So we can understand why the disciples, as they thought about the Old Testament, and as they watched what Jesus was doing, we can understand how they were so excited, how they were getting so carried away. But Jesus can see into their minds. And Jesus knows that they have, they have things wrong in their minds. Jesus knows that they're thinking that when he gets to Jerusalem, everyone will see that he's the king. They're thinking that when he gets to Jerusalem, there was going to be this huge recognition of Jesus as political uh, king and that they, they would have the top jobs because they were, uh, his, they were his disciples. That's what was in their minds. But that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to be uh, some political mastermind. He didn't uh, come to be a, a warrior who would overthrow uh, the, the tyranny of Rome. He didn't come to, to have this, this muscular reign that everybody could, could be in awe of. So the disciples expected all of this. They had things wrong. And the purpose of this parable was for Jesus to put them right. Jesus wants to tell them, we're not going to Jerusalem uh, to have some huge political rally. We're not going to Jerusalem uh, to, to have uh, uh, this uh, amazing uh, experience uh, of Jesus being lifted up as a this-worldly king And uh, this was a kindness on the part of Jesus. He's preparing them for what's to come. He's teaching them how to understand what it meant to be a disciple in this world. That was the purpose of the parable. And you know, if if you and I want to understand this world, if we want to understand what's going on in this world, we need to listen to Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. See, without Jesus, it's very hard. In fact, really it's impossible to understand the purpose of this life. Without Jesus, we don't really know why we're here. We don't know the purpose of life. Uh, We may pursue money. We may pursue career success. We may pursue popularity. uh, But the more we actually accumulate of it, the less it means. The more we scratch our heads saying, I don't know why I'm here. I don't understand this world. To understand this world, to understand the purpose of life, we, we need to listen to Jesus. As we open the Bible, we are given direction on how we are to live. So how are we to live if we ask that question? How are we to live if we are disciples of Jesus? What do we need? Well, the next thing is uh, we need patience. Jesus tells us this parable to Uh, gives us the purpose of the parable first of all but uh, the second point is uh, uh, if we are disciples of Jesus uh, we need to have uh, patience so point number two is patience look at verse uh, 12 Jesus said a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return now this is a story uh, that everyone in that place knew usually when Jesus would tell uh, parables uh, they were made up stories they were they were just illustrations of what was going on around them um, but uh, they, they, they weren't based in fact they were just they were just kind of made up stories to, to make a point but this was a story that everybody knew there was a, a story that dated back about 30 years and there was a character called Archelaus who went off to Rome because he wanted to have himself appointed as king he wanted to be the king uh, but the Jews that he was hoping to rule were not happy So after he went to Rome to make this application to be king, they sent an embassy of 50 men uh, on behind him to express to Rome they didn't want this man to be king. So that was a story that had created some uh, interest uh, going back a few decades. And uh, it was a story that everybody would have remembered. And Jesus uses it as an illustration here. He tells a a story about a a man, a noble man, a man of... of, uh, gravitas who went off to a distant country and when he returned he would be king it's the premise of the story and jesus was telling this story about himself he was with him just now but soon jesus would go away shortly after he arrives in jerusalem jesus was going to go away and he was going to go away to the distant country of heaven and when he would return everyone would see that the king had appeared in jerusalem they wouldn't see that But when Jesus came back after his death and resurrection, everyone would see that the king had appeared, but patience was required in waiting for uh, the return of Jesus and the the universal recognition of King Jesus. In Jerusalem, when uh, the disciples arrived uh, in Jerusalem with Jesus, uh, they would not hear shouts of, Crown him as king! Rather, what they would hear uh, were shouts of crucify him we don't want him as king so the disciples need to be made aware of that uh, they, they would need patience as they waited for the kingdom of God to appear as they waited for people to recognise that Jesus was the king they were going to need patience for that and you know today if we're disciples of Jesus uh, we still need patience uh, we see in the world such injustice uh, so much trouble uh, we see war. We see uh, good people being pushed down and evil being pulled up. Uh, we hear people say of Jesus, still crucify him. We don't want him as our king. We don't hear Jesus' uh, name being uh, lifted up uh, in worship in public places. Uh, we, we hear that the name of Jesus is either cursed or it's removed. That's the reality of the world that we, that we live in. And it's hard to live in that place. So we need patience. Dale Ralph Davis, the commentator, says, we long for instant relief, but in his kingdom, Jesus invites us to, and he insists on, uh, the long haul. You know, for Christians, uh, we have to recognize uh, that we're going to need to be patient. In this world, Jesus said, you're going to have trouble. It's not going to be easy. You'll need to have patience. And today, if we Think about where we are in history. Uh, today, uh, in terms of this parable, Jesus is still in a distant country. He has died. He has risen. He's ascended. He's still in the distant country of heaven. But as we sang, he is coming back. Remember last Sunday at uh, communion, we remembered uh, the death of Jesus. Uh, he died in our place. His body was broken. His blood was shed. We, we take the, the bread and wine. We remember all that he did to save us. Um, but there's that line at the end of communion, that uh, we do this until he comes. He is coming. We don't know what day, we don't know what hour, but he is coming. Until that day, we need we need patience. J.C. Ryle says, in all our thoughts about Christ, let us never forget his second advent. It is well to know that he lived for us and died for us and rose again for us and intercedes for us. But it is also well to know that he is Soon coming again, I wonder, are we prepared for that day? If today was to be that day where Jesus returned or called us to stand before him, are we ready for that, for that meeting for that divine appointment? The disciples they, they were given the purpose of the parable. Jesus told them the parable so that they would understand the world around them and the calling of the disciple. Uh, Jesus, uh, he, he told them the parable so that they would have patience, uh, so that they would follow him patiently. And the third point here is uh, Jesus told this parable to give them perspective. And I'm not an artist, but uh, artists uh, need to know the importance of perspective. We could get Margarita out, she could talk to us for 15 minutes about perspective, um, Keeping things in perspective from the, uh, the artistic point of view means that uh, when one is drawing a picture, uh, the, the, the things in the picture need to be uh, of the correct size and, and position in comparison with the other things. I'm not describing that very well, but I think you know what I mean. Perspective. Everything's got to be in perspective. Everything's got to be of the right size. You don't have things that are far away big and things that are close to you small. Otherwise, the perspective is all, all skewed. And Spiritually, we need perspective. Spiritually, we need to, to, to make sure that Jesus is in the right place in our lives, that he is uh, the right size, he has the right uh, magnitude in our lives. He has the right position in our lives. And, and that's the lesson that's taught probably in the, the main part of this parable. Look at verses 13 to 15. Jesus tells us a uh, story. And uh, in verses 13 to 15, uh, we see the master Uh, he called 10 of his servants and he gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. So so that's the story, that's the the scenario. So so what does this mean? Because it's not the most straightforward of, Of parables. So let's try to figure out where where do we fit in this? What does this all mean? Uh, Well, who's who in this parable? Well, uh, the servants are us in the parable. Uh, And some are are, are willing servants. Maybe I should say uh, the master is Jesus. The servants are us. Uh, And some are are willing servants who trust King Jesus and serve him gladly. And some are unwilling servants uh, who do not want. Jesus to be their king and who rebel against them and say, I want to live my way. But the thing is, although uh, we hear these words in the parable, uh, we don't want this man to be our king. The the fact is, Jesus is king. Whether we want him or not, Jesus is king. And whether we believe it or not, uh, this world is his world, his kingdom. And whether we're ready or not, Jesus is coming back one day to this world to see what we have done with the, the minors that he has given us to what are the minors well the minors are the privileges that we enjoy uh, life breath a measure of health and strength uh, knowledge of the gospel message uh, no one in this room uh, either uh, doesn't have a bible or can't get hold of a bible if you don't have a bible ask me you'll have one by the end of the day that's a privilege it's a minor. Knowledge of the gospel message. People who've taught us about Jesus and, and his love and uh, our sin and our need to be saved and the cross and what Jesus did for us and the resurrection and the eternal life that's offered. Uh, all these privileges of, of, of the gospel and, and the gifts that God has given us, uh, they are wrapped up in this term, minors, we've been given us. Uh, Hendrickson the commentator says then the nobleman's return and session with his servants symbolizes Christ's second coming when he will demand of his servants that they render an account of the manner in which they have dealt with the gospel and in this connection with the gifts and opportunities for service that were placed at their disposal so we see ourselves in this you know we're servants of Jesus some willing some unwilling we see the privileges that we enjoy and the question that we're going to be asked on the day that we stand before Jesus is, uh, "What did you do with these privileges? What did you do with the message of the gospel?" You know, on the day that we stand before Jesus, the questions He asks us are not uh, how rich were you, you know, or how famous were you, or how powerful were you, you know, how pretty were you, how big was your house, how nice was the decor, how much money did you make, what kind of car did you drive? They're not questions. That will feature on the day that we stand before Jesus. Any letters did you have after your name? Not interested. They're not questions that are going to feature in that meeting that we have with Jesus. The questions that we're going to be asked are, How did you use the life that I gave you? Did you trust me? Did you obey me? Did you point other people to me? Did you believe the gospel? Did you tell other people the gospel? These are the questions. It's the basis on which we will be assessed. We're all going to have to answer to King Jesus. Whether we wanted him as king or not, we're going to stand before him. And if we keep that in perspective, we're going to live wisely. You know, if we allow money and popularity and comfort and career success to become big and Jesus to become small, our perspective will be wrong. We're going to live unwisely. We're going to spend all our time On decorating and saving and working and we'll spend no time in in spiritual things. Our perspective will be wrong. We'll we'll, we'll live unwisely. Or if, uh, to put it another way, if we allow these few years that we have on this earth to become the big thing and eternity to become small, our perspective will be wrong and we'll live unwisely. So we need this right perspective that uh, Jesus gives us. Remember the, the line in gladiator, what we, what we do here echoes into eternity. We need to remember that. We need, we need to have that perspective. So the purpose of the parable, the patience that we need as disciples of Jesus, the perspective that we're to have if we're to live wisely. Uh, the fourth thing is uh, the prophet that we see in this parable. Look at verses 16 to, to 19. I'll speed up uh, now. The first uh, servant came. This is before the master and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. So we see two servants, uh, as they stand before the master and give an account of what they did with the miners, uh, uh, they've, they've used the miners wisely. Uh, they, they've invested them and uh, they're in profit. Uh, one servant, servant number one, has a profit margin of 1,000%. Uh, uh, the second one has a profit margin of 500%. So these are good returns. But the thing to note here is not so much the profit margin that they earned for their master, but the profit the master gave to them. You know, if we actually scrutinize the figures here, a minor. Uh, we're told by the commentators, was about three months wages. So we talk in our terms, say 4,000 pounds, 4,500 pounds average wage. So servant number one, he's given 4,500 pounds, he makes 45,000 pounds. It's a good return. Servant number two, uh, he, he makes uh, 22,500 pounds from 4,500 pounds. So, so they, they make good money. It's, it's good money. It's not insignificant money, but it's not crazy money. You know, you couldn't get 45,000 pounds and build a house in Shillabost. You couldn't even buy a plot in Shillabost. So it's good money, but it's not massive, mega money. But think about the reward the master gives. He doesn't give them a share of the profits. He gives them so much more than than they actually were given in the first place. He doesn't say, well, you made 45,000 pounds. Let's give you a 1% bonus at Christmas, 450 pounds. That would be generous. He says to the servant number one, you've made 45,000 pounds, you can have 10 cities. That's massively disproportionate in terms of the the profit, the generosity of the master. And the second one, he says, "Uh, you've made 22,500 pounds, you can have five cities. You can imagine these servants going, surely a mistake here. You know, I... I worked, but I didn't work that hard. Surely there's a mistake in this. I did a wee job, but I don't deserve to to have uh, uh, ten cities given to me. I don't deserve five cities. And the the answer is, uh, that's right, they didn't deserve that. But Jesus doesn't give us what we deserve when we trust him and when we serve him. He gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. This is a picture of grace. We see the, the, the massive generosity of the master, this immense grace that is shown towards uh, these servants and uh, that's a lesson that we need to take hold of serving King Jesus it takes it takes effort it takes hard work it takes discipline it takes commitment but Jesus won't shortchange us if we serve him he won't uh, treat us cruelly Uh, he is generous he is kind uh, he is good. His returns are not stingy and frugal. Uh, he is gracious. And we get tastes of that in this, in this world. Um, but we, we, we enjoy the full measure in, in the world to come. And if you want a picture of, of grace at work, uh, the grace of God at work, um, we just need to glance back at the previous verses. Zacchaeus, he's been, he's been zapped by God's grace. The old Zacchaeus is squeezing everybody he meets for every last penny he can get out of them. He's extorting every last bean he can get out of the the, the people that he has charge over. But once he meets Jesus, he's writing checks, he's writing tax rebates, far in excess of what he's actually legally obliged to give to them. And it's a picture of what God's grace looks like in action. It's lavish. It's transformative. Of course, the the high-definition picture of God's grace is not seen in Zacchaeus. It's, uh, it's seen in Jerusalem in just a few days. Where Jesus would become poor. So that we could become rich. Where Jesus would become sin. So that we could be saved. Did we deserve that? Of course we didn't deserve it. It's so all of grace. We profit eternally from the blood of Jesus. That was shed on the cross. It's grace. So we see here a prophet The profit the servants make, but more importantly, the profit that they receive graciously uh, from the master. And the final point, my time is gone, but I think I would be unfaithful if I finished uh, without dealing with this point. Uh, The final point is punishment. And if you look at verse 20 to verse 27, uh, we see uh, that this parable finishes with a warning about punishment. The third servant comes, verse 20, and said, Sir... Here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money in deposit so that when I came back, I, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him. Give it to the one who has 10 minus. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies are mine who did not want me to be king over them. Bring them here and kill them in front of me. It's serious words to finish. And it's totally counter to the way that we would present a point. You know, every lesson in public speaking would say, you finish on the positive. If you need to mention negatives, yeah, by all means mention them, but uh, move through the negatives quickly. Put them in the small print. But major on the profit. Major on the positive. Uh, a peer expert would say to Jesus, uh, in terms of this parable, um, major on the, on, on the gain. Major on the grace. Finish on the grace. But that's not what Jesus does here. Uh, his final word in this parable is a, is a word of punishment. Uh, we see a servant, servant number three, Who either doesn't know King Jesus. Or or who's lost sight of King Jesus. And uh, has no real understanding of the character of the master. We see a servant uh, in these verses who wastes his life. uh, Who who takes the gospel and and hides it away. Doesn't act on it. Doesn't share it. We see a servant whose life and whose lack of witness yields absolutely nothing for God's glory. And for such a servant... Uh, on judgment day it's a difficult conversation it's not profit that's being discussed it's punishment and you and I may not like the ending to this parable uh, it might make some of us squirm but we need to hear it Taylor Ralph Davis says final judgment is never pleasant and it cannot be described pleasantly but it is the note that Jesus ends on <coughs> Jesus warns us about the punishment that awaits those who waste their lives investing in this world and forgetting about the world to come. Jesus warns us about the punishment that awaits those who say, we do not want this Jesus to be our king. My life. And that's the note it finishes on. That's the point that we're to take home. So let's ensure that we learn from this parable and ask Jesus to be our king. Whilst we have time, let's ensure that we uh, do not waste our lives But we use our lives here to serve him. And let me say, uh, if that seems unreasonable, if there is someone here who, like the the, the wicked servant, uh, is saying, God has been hard on me, expecting that, can I ask you to look again at the cross? Or maybe to look for the first time at the cross. Look at the love of God for you. Look at the Son of God, the servant king, who does not come to this world to, to take our lives away from us, but who went to the cross to lay his life down for us so that we could escape the reality of this punishment and be assured of the promise of eternal profit and peace. We'll pray. Lord God, we pray that whilst we have time, uh, we would ask Jesus to be our king. Break down the rebellion in us, we pray. Break down the spirit that would say, we do not want this Jesus to be our king. Break through the selfishness that would cause us to focus on our own comfort and the the very few years that we have in time. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see uh, the reality of uh, punishment for those who turn away from Christ and the peace and joy and grace that is promised to those who trust him we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.